This is the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast, the greenest podcast in the business. My name is Mark. And today we're going to be talking about designers publishing games. Now, I am not going to host this episode because I am one of the guests. So I will introduce our actual legitimate host, Matt Wolf. Hello, Matt. Hello, Mark. I don't know how legitimate I am. Who bestows legitimacy on a podcast host? Well, you're the original Game Designers of North Carolina podcast yeah, I'm back for a special special episode. What what do they call it when like the professor is no longer actively teaching, but they have like a a role? Uh, start You're emeritus. Me. Yes, You're thank the you. Podcast host emeritus. That's right. Posthumous <laughs> podcast hosting. And that third voice that you hear is Udi. Say hi, Udi. Hi. <laughs> that was very very well done. You followed instructions to the T. I've been practicing. So yeah, so because Mark is for this subject matter uh is the the guest uh you can't be both a guest and a, a host that's just nuts that'd be uh, ridiculous so, yeah yeah so I'll, I'll step in and shepherd this one along but before we get to the main topic uh we have to do everyone's favorite segment is tell me something good so let's start with you ud what's something good that's been uh going on well uh here in Asheville, our chapter is that what we call it of the game designers in north carolina has really been going strong the local board game cafe well played started hosting us near the end of last year and things have been great we end up with lots of folks will show up just to play test and we're getting new designers and we actually have a branch that meets on occasion in the town just south of us hendersonville north carolina so that's really good there's some other good things going on but big part of that's what this podcast's about, so I'll put those on hold. I'm going to do some conventions coming up soon, so that's exciting. I plan on being at Tantrum Con and Proto ATL. Very nice. All right, Mark, what's yeah, good with you? That's interesting. You mentioned Hendersonville. Hendersonville is the the big town, and I'm saying this in air quotes because it's not big, but it's a big town right outside of the small town where my parents live. So over there, I'm in that area a handful of times each year when I go over west to visit my parents. So maybe I could drop by the Hendersonville location, or heck, I could drive another 45 minutes and be to Asheville. Um, Just crash crash the Hendersonville people and be like, who, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> who's this person we've never seen before is coming in as if he knows what he's doing? I was like, yeah, I'm just pretending that <laughs> I know you all because we're all in the same group. Yeah, <laughs> well, similar to some of Yudi's things, I also am attending... Several conventions coming up soon. So normally, I have, for the past handful of years, been doing two conventions a year. Several years ago, I would do three conventions a year. I would do, like, Unpub, and then PAX Unplugged, and then I would find one in the middle, and I would just rotate so I could hit all the big conventions in the country. I did BGG Con, I've done Origins, I've done Gen Con, but I would always do Unpub and PAX Unplugged. And then recently, I would just do those two and skip the one in the middle. But this year, I've already signed up for like three in the first quarter. So um, I might be might be going bigger on this year's convention. Yeah, I'm also going to Tantrum Con and Unpub and Proto ATL later on. So I'm filling up my schedule with a bunch of stuff to do, which has encouraged me to start designing new games, which is always fascinating. 
I spend a lot of time on a smaller number of games is just the way that I kind of do my design work. But recently I've started a new game that I'm having a lot of fun with. And it's kind of, and yeah, it's, it's unusual for me to have a new game that I'm working on. So that's something that I'm enjoying and I like it. You definitely are more of a, how would I put it, like a deliberate designer. You know, you're, you take your time and try to make sure, you know, what you're testing is, is something worth putting on the table. Some of us, like myself, just be like, I don't know, let's just see if this is a thing. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But yeah, you're, you're a lot more deliberate then. <laughs> yeah. I uh, so I definitely feel that way, which <laughs> last meeting, the one I brought, <laughs> I was telling everybody, by the way, this is, this is just like one, it's not even a game. It's one idea that I want to see if it even has the, the bones of a decent idea. And that's how much of a game there was. So even though, yeah, I feel like I try to be deliberate about what I put on the table. It was a very raw play test with, <laughs> with very little structure to it, but it was good. And all of a sudden, uh, I guess it's like almost two weeks later, I've got a little bit more of a structure. So that worked out. Yeah, more more playstorming than playtesting at that yeah. point. If yeah. everything goes well, I'm sure we'll hear more about this game later on this year. It's called something like um, Keep the Stuff Together, or maybe it's like uh, Push and squiggle stuff around maybe uh, it's something like that i haven't come up with a name yet push and squiggle stuff around <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's a unique name so just go with that that's, that's, that'll be fine all right uh oh stuff for for me i i'm i will also be at uh tantrum con and unpub um tantrum con is just because it's in charlotte north carolina so for us it's you know relatively convenient to to get over there and and it just seems like a no-brainer to go do that one and then unpub of course is the classic uh standby to go and play test so i'd always at that one proto atl this year they're two weeks after unpub and i just don't know if i can swing it i'm really disappointed that they're so close together i Wish that Proto ATL would have been back a couple of months like it has been in the in the past. So we'll see if I can make that one. I wish that would, that would be nice. Uh, you know, but something you can... that I've been working on um, has been a game called Art Professor. I'm really excited about this one. It's a party game where one player is is placing a picture frame on a picture uh, on some artwork, and it co- it's going to correspond to an emotion card, uh, one of one of six emotion cards that are on display, and the other players have to try to interpret what that player is framing, and you know, so it's like that sort of Dixit Mysterium kind of feel like that, and I. And we'll most likely have that at, at Unpub and and uh, probably Tantrum Con as well. And it's been it's been really really fun playing that one. People have been highly engaged when they're playing it, not just you know us in the group, but I actually had people over uh, the holidays up at my mom's house, just very casual players that you know they know a couple of games, but they're not like super into modern games and they were just really engaged with that game and, and really enjoyed it and a lot of a lot of good feedback from a more casual audience that was good to really good to see so i'm pretty happy with how that one is is going and just have to figure out who i who i need to show it to yeah i've seen you play that one over twitter too and even because it's such a visual style game that it even works you can play it online if you wanted to yeah yeah it's almost like code names in that way back when code names first came out people were doing that kind of thing like post a picture and give a clue and yeah it it, it surprisingly works well in a kind of distributed digital kind of setting but that's not what we're here to talk about today we're here to talk about why in the world uh, some designers would choose to become publishers so let's let's start off 
have some 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 uh, background here. So, Mark, if I have counted correctly, you currently have two games that you have designed and are either on the market or are on their way, right? You have Kintsugi and Top Pop, is that right? Yes. So you have worked with two different publishers, and who knows, maybe a, maybe more in the future. And then Yudi, uh, you have Red Cap Ruckus that came out from WizKids, and that that's your currently your first uh, one, right? Right. Yep. Okay. So you both have worked with different publishers and and had games come out on the market, but now you have decided that you want to do your own publishing company. So whose idea was this, first of all? <laughs> well. <laughs> up until about the time Mark came and talked to me, actually up until a little bit after he came and talked to me, I would have said, I cannot imagine wanting to be part of a publishing company. Like that sounds miserable to me. <laughs> so, so it was certainly not my idea. And not too different from that. For the longest time, I had very similar views. Like why would I want to do all the logistics and talk to printers and figuring out freighting and whatever when the cool part about games is like designing them why would i want to do that other stuff but then lots of things uh maybe some of these things we can go into a little bit more detail but lots of things fell into place and started making sense in a different way and it felt like it was the right time to try making a publishing company so yeah so it was my idea i talked to yudi about it i talked to um another guy my brother-in-law steve-o who uh, who doesn't do the game side of things because you need someone who can help the other. So anyway, to get enough people together who could make it work. And we all decided that, yeah, you know what? Let's give it a go. And that's what we're doing. Mark came to me and uh, he said, I've got something I want to talk to you about. And we had, we had been co-designing a game and this and that and the other. And I didn't know what it was going to be. And he started talking and he said, have you ever considered starting a publishing company or something along those lines? And and I didn't give him a chance to say anything else. I, I kind of was like, well, so this is what that sounds like to me. And laid out all these logistics and paperwork and just all the all these things that, and I, I basically laid out thing after thing and said, these sound miserable to me and I'm no good at them. I would not be successful at these things. And Mark quietly listened to everything that I had said I didn't want to do and wouldn't be any good at. And then he said, that's great. I'll, I can do all those things. <laughs> I need somebody. I need somebody to, uh, to be able to talk to artists and understands graphic design and editing. And I was like, wait, so you want me to do all the fun stuff? <laughs> so that was what sold me on it. Yeah. I mean, so, so that's the, the best partnerships, right? You have you know one partner that can handle a bunch of stuff that the other partner maybe isn't the strongest at and vice versa. And yeah, that, that way you amplify each other instead of having you know overlap. The other guy... Steve-O, who is uh, the other member of the company. I don't know if anybody really likes taxes and like business money rules and stuff, but he like listens to podcasts about how money works and like reads articles and stuff. And he might like taxes more than anybody else that I know. I don't know if he like likes likes them, but he likes them more than anybody else that I know. Is and he so, like a CPA or an accountant? No, or he's what? a he's a software engineer. Okay. He does money investment as a hobby. <laughs> You're entrusting your your company to a hobbyist accountant. Uh, no, well, he's not doing the accounting. He's a liaison <laughs> between the people who. Uh, who would do something like I don't even understand half the tax lingo, but he's the guy who is the liaison between all the people who are, you know, similar to how an art director would speak and understand how artists are talking. This guy would be the business liaison, money accounting 
tax liaison, whatever you call it. We don't have titles that I know of. <laughs> We're just all liaisons here. <laughs> We're all liaisons, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you have to list titles on your LLC paperwork? All the titles are member is the title oh, that we just, all have. Oh, okay. You, you didn't specify beyond that. Okay. In that case, uh, you could just make up the title. So, yeah, like, you know, UD could be artist, liaison, and repertoire or something. And, you know, your your Steve O, your, your brother in law yeah. goes by Steve O. Uh, I think I'm the only person who calls him that. Okay. <laughs> not, not anymore. Yeah, really. <laughs> Like, all right, he's in Jackass. He's Steve-O. Uh, but, yeah, so he, he's the, the, the numbers and math layout. layout. <laughs> yeah, that's um, those would be great titles. <laughs> okay, so, 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 Mark, I guess when you had the idea and you realized, like, the things that you could do and the things you couldn't do and you found people that could do the things that you couldn't do, or at least the things that you didn't want to do, uh, maybe. Maybe you could do them, but you didn't want to do them. Is that kind of summarize i mean i like to think that i could do anything given enough time and interest so yes but i mean who knows if i really could i haven't had infinite time and interest that's just me thinking that i'm excellent but who knows if that's true or not so when you came up with the idea to start you know your own publisher did you already have a game in mind or was this just you know what let's let's start something and and we'll we'll figure out the game from there yeah so that's one of the things that fell into place because i knew that there were lots of things that i didn't know that i would need to be at least competent at minimum competent at to be able to be a publisher at all and um many of those things i was not even approaching competency and that's why i solicited the aid of uh yudi and steven and uh, they helped round out the skills that I had very Who, little who's competence. Steven? Is that Steve? <laughs> yeah, same okay, guy. Steve, okay. And at the same time, many of the other things I had either been around enough publishers or I had been reading enough that I felt like I, I did know enough to like get through it. But what I wanted to make sure was that we basically did our first go round was publisher on easy mode. So one of the important aspects of starting is, yeah, I want to have the right people so we could round out the full skill set that we would actually need to get stuff done. And then I would want the first game to be the simplest game from the perspective of the skills that I do not have a decade of experience in, which is um, uh, working with manufacturers and doing the freighting and shipping and things like that. Those are things that they're not necessarily as nuanced and convoluted as something like, you know, art direction, I guess. But since I haven't done it, I wanted to just, yeah, a game with simple and straightforward manufacturing is easier to get right than a game that has a hundred of complicated bits. The right game had to come together at the right time. And then, yeah, the right people had to sign on to help out and to be a part of it. And then also I needed to have enough money available to kind of start up stuff and all those so things. What, what is this game? Like what, oh, what is the right yeah. game? So Tether. Tether is the game that I had been working on that for a few months. It is primarily a deck of cards. It takes 53 cards. Um, there will be some other stuff that eventually is in the box, like score tracking sort of things. But the main component is a deck of cards. And as far as printing goes, printing a deck of cards is the easiest thing to get right. And it's also physically small and less expensive than something that's like large and heavy and cumbersome. So I knew that the uh, the freighting and shipping, like 
if I miscalculated how much some of that would go, I wouldn't be off by a huge factor because it's it's a small box game. So uh, a small miscalculation would not uh, multiply into a huge problem. It might turn into just a slightly bigger problem. But yeah, so I want to do yet yeah, because uh, because Tether was a card game and I already felt confident that it was coming along quite nicely and it was fun to play and people enjoyed it and it would be as straightforward to manufacturers as anything. Then yeah, that was the right game for the company. So, so you when when Mark approached you about you know joining into this glorious adventure, was Tether part of the pitch or did that come later? I don't think it was part of the very first conversation, but it was early on and it sounded good when I heard it because it was all, yeah, that's all doable. That's <laughs> you, there's none of the added complexities. We can make sure we know how to do the straightforward thing and do it well. And some of the things that helped sell me on that too were <laughs> it's funny now it still feels weird to say from a publisher's perspective and i guess we haven't actually published anything yet but but i don't know what other perspective to describe this as you, from a you always hear perspective. right from a potential one day publisher's perspective <laughs> you you always hear publishers as a designer you always hear publishers talk about what are they looking for in a game and what do they want. And it's kind of the, it can be funny how frequently you hear different wording of, we want a game that's unique in just the right way. <laughs> and everyone knows what they mean when they say it. And designers, I think a lot of times know what they mean when they hear it, but it's an, it's an easy thing to make fun of because in a sense, I think we generally as we feel like, oh, I wouldn't design this game if it weren't doing something new and different. And publishers look at it and they say, yeah, but is it new enough and different enough? Is it Anyway, all of that to say, I thought Tether did a really neat thing that when people hear, oh, that's how Tether works, it makes them want to know more about it, even though it's not anything outlandish or absurd. It's just simple, straightforward. And we haven't mentioned it yet, so I'm just leading. I'm bearing the yeah. lead. It's, um, no, yeah. We're never going to mention it on this episode. We're just going to let people go research. I'll have to wonder. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Here's, I'll give a quick little rundown <laughs> just, uh, just to spoil it. What I believe the unique hook about Tether is it is a card game about connecting astronauts together, but it uses a mirror deck. A mirror deck is just a card where in the top corner there's a two-digit number. When you rotate the card around 180 degrees... On the other end of that card is the same two digits, but they've swapped places. So if you put this card out on the table, for one player, it might say like 23. And the player sitting on the other side of the table would see those same two digits, but they would be reversed from the other side. So it would say 32. You see this card from different perspectives, and it has a different number. That number is what you use to connect the cards together, just in sequential value. Like the 23 connects to both the 22 and the 24. But the 32 connects to both the 31 and the 33. So putting that there, so each player can see a different number, we're both trying to connect off of it, but using different cards. And that's like, that's the gist of it. That's the thing that's a little bit different than other, uh, I guess, cards with numbers games. Because in effect, it's kind of a cards with numbers game, but with that twist of using a mirror deck and you making connections based off the number that's right side up to you, which is different than the number that's right side up to your opponent. Are and you, I love going to give when... Daniel Solis a gratis copy? Yeah, I probably will. Yeah, Daniel Solis. So yeah, in case anyone had heard Daniel Solis talk about the mirror deck, yeah, he is the one who introduced the concept of the mirror deck to me. And for a while, he was working on some games to utilize this mirror deck. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I like, I like the idea of these cards. 
And so I was working on some ideas and one day he and I had tossed some ideas back and forth. And at that point I had what eventually was the the root of Tether. And I, I actually asked Daniel, hey, is this something that, you know, you would want to like work on together? At, at the time he was like, well, no, that's, I'm not really interested in doing co-design now. You can have that. That's fine. Don't consider you owing me anything for this. But like, this can be your game and you can do whatever, even though you got the idea of the mirror deck for me. Like, that's just a deck of cards. The game part, he said he felt like I could own. He is going to have like his, we're calling him out in the rule book and stuff because it was definitely inspired by stuff that he showed me. But if anyone feels that I'm stealing from Daniel Solis, he and I have talked about it and we're fine. <laughs> None of us were thinking that. Maybe Steve-O. So, so we, uh, <laughs> we mentioned the name of the game. What is the name of your publishing company? The company name... <laughs> is How to Steam Broccoli. Convince That's me it. why that is not the stupidest name in the history of the world for a publishing company. I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where does, the, where does the name come from? So How to Steam Broccoli. That That is legit the name of your your publishing company how, yeah. where did that name come from <laughs> i'm sitting here thinking yes mark where did that name come from <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think uh you you had asked me that at the very beginning like where what's the story behind this name and i said give me a little bit and i'll make up a story for you <laughs> uh so many publishers have a a name that's structured something like adjective animal especially like the smaller indie publishers and me I love bucking trends more than I love adhering to them. So my first rule of a publisher name was no adjective animal. Anything that was an adjective and animal is immediately out. Not animal. What is the most not animal thing? <laughs> Vegetable. Yeah. And I also thought about um, thought about parts of speech. Many publisher names are nouns. And nouns, they make sense because a publisher, a company, is a noun. But I thought that it would um, it would feel a little bit different from other publisher names if it itself was not a noun or a noun clause or anything like that. So I wanted something that was neither an adjective animal nor a noun at all. And I wanted something that was uh, unique enough and catchy enough that once you've heard it, if you heard it a second time, you'd be like, oh yeah, I've heard of them before. And, uh, and that's mostly where it came from. There was a long time ago, back when I was in college there's a tiny insignificant inside joke that some of us had about making a website where um instead of looking up recipes you would type in all the ingredients you have on your shelf and it would tell you all the meals you could prepare with those ingredients and we decided that if we ever made that website we would call it howtosteambroccoli.com and that was a, a small insignificant joke way back in college but then as an adult Recently, when I was thinking about stuff that was kind of catchy and unique and somewhat memorable, that I remembered it from however long ago that was that uh, that joke existed. And I was like thinking to myself, well, if I can remember how to steam broccoli almost 20 years later, then it's at least somewhat memorable, right? And, uh, and from then, it's proven that it has done many of the things that I hoped it would. Kind of be uh, unusual, a little bit catchy, non-offensive, charming even, and get people talking or at least asking about it. When I went to the bank and opened up a bank account for How to Steam Broccoli LLC, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Did were they like, are, is this actually a stick up? Is that, yeah. is this just a bluff or? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so, just, just imagine all the types of people you would have to speak to when you're making a company. And I did have to speak to all those people, like the secretary of, oh, I didn't speak with the actual secretary of state, but like there's paperwork 
And like I have official <laughs> documents from the Secretary of State's office that have all these silly words on them because that's the path I've chosen. Do you, do you wonder if people that work in in like that office that where they like approve you know the applications for LLCs, if they look at the company names? And if they're like, yo, yo, Judy, te- check out this one that just came in. How to steam broccoli. Like, that's what a stupid name or or what an amazing <laughs> name or, you know, whatever. Like that, it just feels like that's that would be something that someone would see that name and it, it would make them like stop, you know, their normal workflow of approving paperwork and, and, and share that around the office you know, kind yeah. of thing. When I went into the bank, I guess the next month I was, you know, updating some stuff. Anyway, they remembered it. Hey. Uh, you're from the the broccoli thing, right? And I was like, yeah, that's me. And they they immediately knew they didn't like they didn't have to ask me what I was there for. They knew what I was there for because they remembered having a silly conversation with me about how to see broccoli. And since then, it's been on like some small scale buzz just from being a silly name. People see it and they're like, hey, here, like the tweet from uh, from Board Game Geek saying that sorry, we are French now has competition for the the <laughs> silliest publisher name. I mean, I I didn't necessarily envisioned that we would get uh random tweet mentions uh just because we're silly but i mean that's nice being a little bit silly in a in a harmless way turns out that it's almost always favorable now that your publisher name is catnip for w eric martin so yeah that was you baited him uh, he tweeted about it yeah yeah so, sorry we are french if listeners are unfamiliar that is a publisher and <clears throat> until how to steam broccoli that was far and away the silliest name for a publisher um and now now yes they do indeed have competition <laughs> so the your your friends in college that you had this you know the cooking website idea do you still talk to any of them and if so have you told them that you've started a publishing company with this name oh yeah i told one of them it was earlier it was last year i guess it was a few months ago and he said oh that's funny that's my <laughs> wi-fi password because he had also remembered the joke he said yeah my wi-fi password is how to see broccoli.com <laughs> <laughs> Which is a hilarious coincidence because it must like, have also been memorable to him too. It includes the dot com <laughs> yes. and the password. Yes. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> so there you go. I'm glad like your your old buddies could you know have have a, a laugh and it was memorable for them. That's, well. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> So, all right. So you, you've established, you know, the company, you, you've got the game, uh, you know, in, in mind for your, your first game and you're, you're working on designing it and working on uh, art direction. So how, how did, you know, you, Mark, and also Yudi being more of the art director role, how did you approach the design part of the game, knowing that you had a different endpoint in mind that you weren't going to pitch it, you were just going to be be doing it yourselves. Let me let me set you up for this one, Yudi. Let me uh, let's build, okay. build a framework about what I was thinking. I was thinking, and I still do, that as a publisher, your role doesn't necessarily change from being the game designer, but the scope of the design is much larger. Because you don't just, just also in air quotes, you don't just design the game experience when it's on the table. You design so much more than just the mechanics and how the rules go. You design everything from, you can even kind of lump in marketing as that. The entire experience of whenever people hear about the game until the game is erased from the collective memory of the world. All that is a, a player's experience and your role as a publisher is to design that entire experience. And so you, I still approach it as a designer, 
And we're just a much broader designer. You're designing a product instead of just the mechanisms. Yeah, I was I was going to make that same connection with the fact that you're designing a product. I did one year of graduate school in product design, what we call industrial design, which always strikes me as funny because that's a horribly designed name for product design. <laughs> but whenever people would ask me, when I'd say I was studying uh, or that I have studied industrial design and people get this idea, they're like, oh, like machines for factories. And I have to tell them what industrial design really is and product design. The example I always give is salt and pepper shaker. And that you, if you're designing a set of salt and pepper shakers, you want them to look nice. You want them to be pleasing and beautiful. And a lot of times when people think of product design, they're just thinking about, you know, how something looks. But for a salt and pepper shaker, you also want to be able to tell which one is salt and which one is pepper. I know I have put something on my food that I expected to be pepper, and it turned out being salt. You also, a salt and pepper shaker, need to be able to fall from like three or four feet without breaking because that's how tall a table is. And it's just too likely to happen. Like there's so many other little things that fit in with it, but it's all part of the design. And I think that's one of the things that appeals to me about game design in general as a game designer is that it's not just one thing. It's so many different things. And designing the product of a game, being the art director, it's great to be able to focus on the usability. So it is, it's a numbers, it's a cards with numbers game, but we wanted to make the numbers obvious, if you will, in a way that you don't have to think about what goes next to each other. It just pops out at you. The cards are different right side up than upside down. The numbers flip flop. Uh, I know a lot of people are like when you play code names, they've got all the words written on there upside down, but I never even look at the little word because it's easier for me to read the big word upside down than to read the little word right side up. I think there's this, a lot of people, it doesn't matter whether the number's right side up or upside down, they'll read what they see. And so the number has to stand right side up when you're looking at it, whether it's right side up or upside down. Uh, not that that sentence made any sense. <laughs> so it, it was fun to work on those problems and try to find the best possible solutions to those. It was fun working with the artist, Eric Hibbler, to make sure that the, the art helps you know what to do instead of making you feel like you should do something different. And a lot of times when, when we're designing games, sometimes it can be really fun to think about those things, to think about how the art is going to go. But I know it's also a common refrain that if you don't solve that problem, you can say, well, that's okay. The publisher will solve that. <laughs> or they're going to find an artist for it anyway. And you're able to just say, okay, I, I can trim that one off and I don't have to think about it. And I actually really enjoyed, and I feel like this was a good fit because of those problems becoming the ones that are front and center, those design decisions becoming front and center. Yeah, uh, I'm just a designer. That this is a problem for the publisher to solve. And then for us, well, any problem that we don't solve is just not going to be solved. And that really puts you in a different position. And yeah, I, I for one like that because I feel empowered by being in like the seat of like, oh, if we don't do this, it won't be done. So let's, everything that's wrong about it is our fault, sort of stuff. 
you know, that, uh, that makes me feel like I'm in the driver's seat and I may be even more capable when I'm put in that position than if I had some sort of out. When there's no way out except for my own way out, then I'm going to figure out how to get out. There's no one else to blame. Yeah. I'm not sure there's any detail that has not gone, gone unmentioned between us in the development of this. We've paid attention to every single detail. And I think that attention to detail, well, I mean, I always appreciate attention to detail, but we're in a position where maybe I just feel this way, but I feel like we have to pay attention to all the detail because we're the ones making the details fit together right i agree and i i've thought a lot about how much i enjoy little details in published games that i've played and things where uh i can imagine when they're putting it together there might have been somebody who said oh that doesn't matter don't worry about that and somebody else who said no this is going to make a difference Mm -hmm. and they were right and i i feel like i'm with a whole group of people now working on this who are saying yeah, this will make a difference, this will make a difference, and we're all in agreement on that, which is a really good thing to be in agreement on. Is there um, something you can recall from a published game where you notice, like, oh, they didn't have to do it this way, but they did it that way, and like that it really made a difference? Something top of mind? I'll tell you one that we used as an example <laughs> when we were having our initial conversation with Eric Hibbler, who's the illustrator, which, by the way, if you like illustrations, look up Eric Hibbler. He's excellent. Yes. But in some of our initial conversations, I put out the example of for sale. For sale is the card game about buying and selling properties. But each card with a property has a picture of the property and they're numerically ordered from one to 30. Higher numbers being cooler, more valuable properties. But every single card, in addition to having the property on it, has an animal. And it's hidden in some of them and is more obvious in others. But there's an animal. I think I think one of them does not have an animal. The space station, I don't think, has an animal in there. But other than that, every card has a little animal, which is 100% irrelevant to the game. But once you see an animal on like two or three cards incidentally, then you're like, wait a second, is there an animal on every card? And then you look and every time you like grab a card, you just look at it and try to find the animal. And that's a that's a detail that is irrelevant to the gameplay, but it definitely adds that charm of, oh, this is a, a detail they put in there just to give somebody more fun stuff to have. Like it doesn't do anything other than make it more interesting. And another detail that I think of, it's not that they put it in, it doesn't strike me as they put this in as a fun Easter egg for the people who would buy this game. And maybe they did, but it more strikes me as a they were having fun while they were making this game. Like they enjoyed the act of making this game. And that's all the cameos in the artwork of Agricola that there's so many designers and like Obi Wan Kenobi and other people whose likenesses are in the characters on the Agricola cards. And yeah, it strikes me, It when I see those, it makes me think they were playing while they were doing their job of designing this. And I love that delight. I love imagining them playing while they're getting this game ready so that I can sit down and play it. Mark, do you know if the for sale retheme uh, still features animals? They, they rethemed it to cars. Yeah, I haven't so, seen the cars deck for it. If I were to bet, well, who knows what I would bet. I would probably bet against it just because... <laughs> If it's a different illustrator, different people doing it, because that game was made long enough ago that maybe nobody who was working at the company then is working at it now. They might not even have a second thought about it because it is irrelevant to the gameplay. So maybe it's not in there. But if it is, then that's really pleasing. But just given the number of games that don't have that sort of thing is why I would bet against it. 
Not because I don't well, believe in the company. Quan Chai <laughs> did the illustrations for the new version. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, and Quan Chai is a phenomenal uh, illustrator and artist. And oh yeah. So yeah, it's possible that he may have put in some some of those Easter eggs, you know, that you're you're talking about. I don't know who the original illustrator was for the. Uh, I can't even think of who the original publisher was. I mean, First Sale has been around for so long. It's published in so many different places. Isn't that uh, the Eagle Griffin uh, bookshelf? series in here in the u.s yeah but they oh. were not the original they're, they're just the u.s release oh actually it looks like it was ravensburger way back in the day mm. but that's not the edition that we are all familiar with here in the u.s the one that we're familiar with was done by uber play and then eagle griffin took over some of the uber play stuff and then they started doing it alvin madden is the artist on that edition that you are speaking of um i'm unfamiliar with with alvin's other work but yeah i'm gonna have to look go look for those animals now because that's i i think i may have noticed them at one point but it's been so long since i've played for sale which is also a crime uh, in and of itself because that's a great game all right so you're getting into kind of the you know the details the nitty-gritty of getting your first game uh, ready and what has been so far the most challenging part of this of this process and that's for both of you perhaps it's the same thing or it could be different things here you go first yudi because i'm probably going to say something that you haven't had to work with at all <sighs> I, I was actually struggling to come up with a good answer to that even though I had the question ahead of time and could have been thinking about it. What? Um, you had the question ahead of time? What? That's, <laughs> what? that's not right. Um, I mean, if the answer is no, you know, nothing, then that's a legitimate answer. If that just means you were well prepared. <laughs> it means everything's fallen into place perfectly. <laughs> How about you, Mark? Let, let Yudi think. Well, so uh, maybe maybe a little bit to Yudi's credit is that the stuff that Yudi hates doing and didn't want to do any of, I don't think he's had to do any of that stuff, which is fine because <laughs> a lot of that was stuff That's either that, that I felt like I could learn easy enough or was, was interested in at least having my hand in that stuff. So I feel like I have had to learn more depths about a lot more things. Anyway, the the most challenging part that I've had so far is in making sure that my communication with printing companies is clear and that I understand what they're saying. So the printing industry, like it exists beyond the realm of the board game industry. And yeah, there are many printers who primarily focus on board games. And that's that's who I mean, we're going to be working with one of those companies. But the printing industry uses a lot of terminology and inherits a lot of stuff from the industry industry that existed before board games were a major part of the printing industry. There's a whole language of printing that I was largely unfamiliar with, um, and I'm still largely unfamiliar with. And couple that with the fact that many of these printers are in different countries that have, you know, cultural differences, or even they might not be, or I don't speak any language other than English. And many of them, they do speak English, but not as their native language. So we have just some misunderstandings from legitimate language barriers, and then the figurative different languages of, of different industries. Like I've had a, a printer, I was talking about small cubes, and they referred to them as, as small dice. And I wasn't sure if we were talking about the same thing, or if they were actually talking about something that was not just a, a wooden cube, just as a small example. But, mm. but many of these companies, I, I feel like, are more, I guess, technical in how they interpret what I say. And me not being from the printing industry, many times when I'm saying things to them, I'm not speaking in technical language, partly because I don't understand their technical printing language, but also because I don't know exactly technically what I want necessarily. Like if I were to say something like, oh yeah, I want 
the thickness of the rule books that I want to quote for. Like, I don't want it to be super thick, but I don't want it to be flimsy. Just give me whatever regular is. And they're like, there's no such thing as regular. Like, what's the GSM of your uh, printer paper stock? And what's the varnish and whatever? And so learning enough of the technical printing terminology to make sure that I can even request things accurately has been probably the most time-consuming part of everything that I've done so far. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm in a good place now uh, with it, but that's definitely been the most challenging part. And like, I know that many people would say that freighting and shipping is a huge chore. We haven't done the freighting and shipping yet, but I've talked to freighting and shipping people. And honestly, just from those conversations, it definitely seems more straightforward than some of the just learning new ways to speak the language of printing and manufacturing so good thing we picked make... the easiest type of game to to print yeah, it does cards. make sense i mean when you're doing just cards they, there's a million different types of paper that you can use just for cards and then yeah. finishes on top of the paper and so sure like you could just be like i just want you know regular playing card stock and you're like well that's what's that yeah, there's yeah. no such yeah. thing as regular playing card stock. And, Specify you know. each of the seven layers, or maybe <laughs> it's more than seven, yeah. that go yeah. into a single card. That makes total sense. You have learned a new language now, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that the logistics piece, that technically you haven't done it yet, but you've laid the groundwork for doing that, that perhaps it's a little bit simpler than, than you were expecting. Is there anything else through this process where you were you know, looking at it, you're like, oh, man, that's going to be a huge you know, pain in the ass or, or like I'm dreading this. And, and it turned out like, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. Let me tell you what I was dreading a lot in advance. And this may come to surprise to you, Yudi, having worked with me on this, is um, working with an illustrator that I've never met before. You know, artists, many of them have their ways of doing things. I mean, I'm the same way, and I'm not even like that kind of artist. I'm Everybody has their own ways of doing things. And I was expecting it to be so difficult to both convey the overall look and feel that I wanted, while also if something was going visually in a direction that I thought was not the right direction, to be able to kind of course correct without like, coming off like somebody who's difficult to work with or you know being rude or whatever and while also still you know correcting it to the to the direction that we wanted other that was going to be really stressful and really hard work but a lot of it is probably just because the illustrator we had was excellent and maybe it would have been different if we got somebody else but that was really mostly just fun i think that every time we got an email from eric we were excited and just popped it open to see what he what he attached it was fun seeing uh, every step of that process i also i don't think i ever had anything that kind of sounded like you were describing maybe a sense of dread sometimes <laughs> and i didn't have anything in that direction but there was like a wondering if are we going to be able to get what we want, exactly what we want? And yeah, it went swimmingly is the word that comes to mind. It was great. I actually, this, so I teach high school and this past term, uh, we had two electives at the school and I was teaching a uh, an actual an elective on games and game design. And the other elective was on illustration and it was great. There were a few times when I was able to share some of this work in progress to say, this is actually, this is what's happening in this world. Here is an illustrator doing their illustrations and how they're communicating with people. And it was great to be able to share with them just for any students that actually might be considering whether that's something they want to do for career to help them see, look, it's not just about being able to draw a great image. Part of what 
made this easier than I had anticipated and made it just feel so good was I think that like Eric coming into this, he understands how games work and he knows that it's not good enough to just be a really sharp image. And they are, but that's not enough. It also has to not detract from the game. Like for instance, with the the cards being cards that can't have a right side up and an upside down, they've got to feel just as correct either way the artwork has to feel right either way or you might subconsciously prefer one orientation over the other and just knowing that and knowing how he had to be able to make the graphic design elements the numbers and things like that fit with it it was the communication felt like it was very natural like we knew what each other was going to say and we understood it when it was said. So like the the example of that there there is no correct orientation for the card. Was that something that was part of like your art direction brief or was that something that Eric brought back to you? How how did how did that surface? It was part of an art direct it was part of the art direction brief from the beginning, but it was the it was something that I was prepared to have to explain in more detail, mm. but he was able to take that and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And every once in a while, if something did kind of feel like it had a right side up instead of being fine either way, and either one of us would mention something about it, uh, Eric would be able to say, you know what, I can actually fix that. I don't have to re even redraw the whole thing. I can fix that just by tweaking these couple of little things. And then he would send us the image in a day or two with those things tweaked, and we'd be able to say, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He knew exactly what he needed to change to fix it, and it fixed it. So it was in there from the beginning, but he knew exactly how to hear it and apply it. Hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> aside from, you know, the the actual work, uh, the fact that you're able to share that with your, your class, uh, that's fantastic. Is that that is something that uh, no matter what industry you go into, like you have to communicate, you know, and understand requirements and, you know, parameters and, and things like that. And, and you don't necessarily think about that stuff until you build up the experience where you know that you need to, to get that stuff. So someone just starting out as like an illustrator or a writer or, you know, a software developer or whatever, um, that's a that's a skill that they may not have right away. So it's good that you could expose the, the kids to, to seeing that in the in the real world. They may not even know the word liaison. <laughs> well, you're not teaching English, so. Okay, so when is uh, Tether coming to market? We're going to have a Kickstarter that launches on February the 21st in the year 2023, and that is to uh, raise initial funds to, to fund the manufacturing and printing. And then enough stuff is enough, far along enough, that I have every expectation that it would also be in backers' hands also later in the year, 2023. Yeah. So you're, uh, why Kickstarter as opposed to just doing it yourselves or using a different crowdfunding platform? Yeah. So I've thought a lot about this. There are a handful of other crowdfunding platforms. Kickstarter does have a larger built-in audience than the other ones currently. And that goes a long way, especially as a, a first-time publisher, because you, you need to remove as many barriers to buy in as possible. And in doing this, there are lots of barriers that I was trying to eliminate. One is, yeah, learning a new platform. So Kickstarter has been around longer and has have there are more people who are familiar enough with it to like trust the name. Like, oh, is Kickstarter? I've heard of that before. Whereas if we did GameFound, then maybe some of my friends who are not in the, the game circles would be like, oh, I haven't heard of that one. And they might be a little bit more hesitant to, to even use it. So there, there's that. Crowdfunding does two things. The obvious thing is front a little bit of the money 
for the next step. Turns out that even just incorporating, paying for a bunch of illustrations and a little bit of marketing and stuff like that can take a lot of money. And uh, having some additional funds to help with the rest of it, that actually goes a long way. The amount of funds that we would raise from the Kickstarter, or the amount of funds we need to print it, is actually less than the amount of funds we've spent already. But uh, once you've spent enough money, it gets to the point where like, well, what if this whole thing is a bust anyway? Let's see if we have enough market interest to help us fund this next step. And if so, then we'll go all in on it. Whatever, that'll be good. The other thing is that, especially as a practically no-name company, bringing people into an event is much more effective than just saying, hey, all of a sudden, this game that you didn't hear about before, or maybe you heard about it, but it wasn't available yesterday, it's available today, and then the event of just the release is something that we announce on whatever platforms we have, well, then maybe 60 people would hear about it, and that's that's something. And then like, if we have previewers or reviewers releasing content, then whenever they release it, it might be another burst. But that is less effective than if we can kind of build up to an event, and then we can release a bunch of information around the event, and then that event happens for you know a month or so. Like the, the crowdfunding as an event is more effective effective at getting attention and getting eyeballs on it than other things. So having an event to schedule around and to build up towards is another part of the, you could call it a marketing strategy, but it's really just getting enough people aware of it because I'm enough of a no-name that without having something to try to build towards and point people to, and then whenever it switches on, I say, all right, now go. Without that sort of thing, I don't think it would even be possible to sell a hundred copies. So, so how are you planning on being able to stand out from the crowded games market as you know, a first-time publisher? So, some stuff we've gotten a little bit lucky on, but some stuff has been intentional. We have talked about kind of brand identity in many ways. There are many games that a lot of publishers could publish. And that's great. But if we focused on primarily types of games that anybody could do, then we're really not a different company. And especially if we're like new and less well-known, then why would someone get a game that anybody could make from us when they could get it from anybody else? So we wanted to have games that are, I guess, the tenets of our company branding. We want the game themes and game settings to be generally like wholesome things, not necessarily we're trying to teach ethics, but like they're good family friendly things like happy astronauts floating around in space, as opposed to like uh, gritty political fantasies. Like a lot of a lot of companies make gritty political fantasy games and they're all fine. Like that's a fine thing to make a game about. I guess it feels a little bit less wholesome than happy astronauts who just want to be connected to other astronauts. Thoughtful was one of the tenets that we had talked about with our brand. Thoughtful being both the attention to detail that we intend to put into every decision that we make, but also the games are not just games that you shut off your brain and play. And then uh, slightly off the beaten path. I guess that's our way of saying what you alluded to before, Yudi unique in a, in a certain way. Yeah, something that is a little bit quirky, not like super weird necessarily, but like slightly weird is I think that's something that adds a little bit of charm and delight that we we're drawn to. And I think that if we can stick to those things, then we will make games that that if you like the overall feel of what the game is like, then any future games that we might do would would have a similar type of feel. I mean, many of those things are nuanced differentiators, but I feel I feel like in my mind I have a solid idea of what I mean, and hopefully those things can come across 
in the stuff that we put out there. So you, you said at the top of the show that both you and Yudi are going to be at Tantrum Con. Are you there representing How to Steam Broccoli, or are you there just as a as an individual? I'm going to be there at a, a demo booth. Yeah, we'll have a table where I'll be demoing Tether. Well, you, yeah, you you can talk about what you're doing. <laughs> I think you're just being I'll a be, regular guy. I'm mostly there as a regular. But uh, but I'll be I'll definitely be at the booth some and demo some and uh, wear my How to Steam Broccoli shirt some and try and yeah. figure out how to answer questions about it. Yeah, I I did not know super far in advance that I was going to do Tantrum Con, but then I was like, yeah, we'll do it. And then like because it fit together the timing and some of my availability, so I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And it's local, like you said, it's it's just in Charlotte, so it's really convenient for us to get to. So I will be there in official publisher capacity. If you want to check out the game, it'll be there. It'll be awesome. We'll have a killer time. So here, here's a free marketing idea for you. So for everyone who's working at your booth, they wear a, a broccoli hat. Like it looks like a, a piece of broccoli. Everyone will remember the broccoli hat, and they will know what booth the people work at when they see them walking around the, the convention center. Noted. We'll keep that in mind. Yeah, that's that's the polite way of saying that's a stupid idea. So thank you, Yudi. Yeah. All right. Anything else that you want to mention about this new exciting endeavor that you are partaking? We can send you to all our locations, but uh, maybe that comes later. Yeah. Oh, oh I've got breaking news. Uh, we talked about for sale earlier. For sale Autorama, which is the, the car rethemed version all the cars have animals on the cards. So that's a reason. I am we're safe. Uh, I have never been more Good glad job. to be yeah. wrong today than <laughs> I was about that. I know the listeners were held in suspense. Of, oh no, do those cards have animals? That's uh, great. So news. at this point, since we're we're in the outro now, I'm I'm going to return to being the retired podcast host. Yep. You all don't have to suffer through my voice made for newspaper anymore. Turn it back <laughs> over to Mark uh, and his delightful baritone to do the outro. Well, if someone is interested in hearing more about how to steam broccoli, or just wants to talk to me or Yudi about what we discussed here, I know that. I personally, my personal Twitter account is at mmark40, but the How to Steam Broccoli Twitter account is at howtobroccoli. And I'll let you know this, How to Steam Broccoli was too long of a handle. Twitter didn't support handles that long, and so I had to abbreviate it somehow. So at howtobroccoli on Twitter. But you can also go to howtosteambroccoli.com if you want to access my friend's Wi-Fi or... If you want to get more information about how to steam broccoli, which includes stuff like there's some information there. There's uh, there's links to the Twitter. There's a way to sign up for our mailing list. And Yudi, I know that you're sometimes on Twitter. You want to say what your Twitter handle is? I am I am at Yudi Games on Twitter. You can find me there. All right. And uh, you can also find how to steam broccoli at how to broccoli. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for the shout out for how to steam broccoli. Matt, if anyone wants to congratulate you on your return to podcast hosting, how could they uh, praise you? They can't. There's no okay. way. Sorry. Uh, I'm actually at least temporarily not on Twitter. I don't know if it's permanent or not. So, yeah, you'd have to, like, email me or something. That would be the only way. Okay. Or you could go to Matt's house. His address is... <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to discuss this episode or talk to us in general, you can visit our guild on Board Game Geek. You can go to podcast.gdofnc.com and that'll redirect you to our guild on Board Game Geek. Or you can go to our website at 
gdofnc.com for any additional information about our guild. The guild does have a Twitter handle, at gdofnc, which stands for the Game Designers of North Carolina. And yeah, we welcome any thoughts or feedback, and we appreciate your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.